from Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as the garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nation shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. May these words lead us to the heart of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this is the day of new beginnings. What a joy to be here. It is the first day of the week. It's the first day of the month. And as you all know, it's the first day of the year. Wow. The slate is wiped clean. We don't have anything. Well, I'm sure you have your calendars have things, but it's, it's a clean slate. God has given us a new beginning to start over. It may be filled with joys or sorrows, excitement, redemption. Let's face it, next year will be filled with life. That's one thing we could say for sure. One Sunday during Advent, two of our members were discussing their t-shirts they wore to church that day, and they were Grinch t-shirts. One said, the Grinch is the story of redemption, and I needed redemption. I must admit that How the Grinch Stole Christmas was never my favorite Christmas story. As a child when I first saw it, I quit watching when the Grinch hooked up his sleigh to his dog. I could never watch anything that had anything to do with mistreatment of animals. So when the members mentioned redemption, I thought, oh, maybe there is something to this story. Maybe I need to rewatch it. So if you haven't seen How the Grinch Stole Christmas, you might be able to catch it on Netflix, or you may have to wait another year. But hey, we all know the story. But after redemption, we experience new beginnings, as the Grinch did. The Apostle Paul calls it being made new. He writes in 2 Corinthians 5:17, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. As you know the story of the Grinch, the Grinch had a heart that was three sizes too small. <clears throat> if that, I'm not sure he had much of a heart, but um, he was bent on making the Whoville miss out on the Christmas joy by stealing their Christmas presents and their Christmas decorations 
But the response of the whole town changed the mind of the Grinch because the presents were not what made their Christmas joy. Their decorations weren't what made their Christmas joy. It was being together and the reason for the season. Other Christmas movies echo the theme of the redemption at Christmas time. Remember, This Is Your Life. It's about a man who was redeemed after he made a terrible mistake. And then there's The Christmas Carol, which seems to be remade every two or three years. And this year, a new version hit Apple TV called Spirited. Now, this is my disclaimer. This is not a child-friendly movie, okay? In fact, I'm not sure any of the Christmas Carol movies are child-friendly. I found them quite scary. Even I, Richard can never get me to watch any of them, but we watched this one. The story does illuminate the theme of redemption. Spirited is a musical, so how can you go wrong with a Christmas musical? Don't we just love those? Come on, yes. Okay. And if you don't, I'm sorry. Oh. We know the story of the Christmas Carol. Scrooge treats everyone really bad, and he is visited by three spirits to find out why he treated people so badly. He is visited by the Christmas past, present, and future. And finally, he's redeemed. He is changed. He's redeemable because he changes and becomes a compassionate human being. And joy breaks forth. In the updated version, each Christmas Eve, again, the ghost of Christmas present, chooses one person to be reformed and visited by the three spirits. But this season, this ghost of Christmas present chooses the wrong person. His name is Clint Briggs, and let me tell you, he does, I'm not even sure he has a heart. He is black-hearted. He would try to make a penny from a widow that did not even have a penny, and she would gladly give it to him because he was kind of like a flim-flam man. But in this version, Briggs turns the tide on the ghost of Christmas present because the Christ ghost of Christmas present begins to reevaluate his past, present, and future. For the first time, a Christmas carol is told from the view of the ghosts. So a little different twist than normal. When the ghost of Christmas present selects Clint Briggs, Jacob Marley looks at him and says, Briggs is not available to be selected because he's unredeemable and unable to change. Which you kind of, you have to agree. He was really slimy. Marley says there has only been one other person whose file was marked unredeemable, and we soon find out that, that person was Scrooge. And look what happened to him. To be labeled unredeemable means no possibility of ever having a new beginning. 
It is right up there with being hard-hearted, black-hearted, like a tax collector or a sinner and like an unlovable trickster. The Hebrew scripture tells us a story about one unlovable trickster named Jacob. Now, Jacob was a twin. He tried to be born first, but he wasn't. He stole his twin's birthright not once, but twice. First, he sold his brother's birthright by saying, hey, you're hungry. You can have a bowl of soup if you want, but I get your birthright. And poor Esau was hungry enough to sell it. And then he dresses up in Esau's clothes so he'll go into his blind father to get his blessing. (sighs) Poor Esau. In fear, Jacob runs away. He leaves town. He goes off to a distant country to where he had some relatives. And he meets a woman, falls in love, And guess what? His father-in-law was a trickster just like him. And after a while, Jacob decides he can't stand it anymore. He's going to take all his toys and go home. He's going to take his wives, his father-in-law's grandchildren, all the cattle and everything. He wants to take everything with him. And on the journey... Jacob wrestles with God all night long. Jacob doesn't exactly win, but he doesn't lose either. He only ends up with a bum hip. He didn't die because if you wrestle with God, I think you might have a problem getting up in the morning. And then he's also given a new name by God. Instead of Jacob, he's now Israel. Then his brother Esau, who had every right to not be kind to Jacob, opens his arms when he sees Jacob and runs to him and embraces him and forgives him. Wow, talk about redemption. Don't you think this story would make a great movie? Okay, I I want a playwright, any playwrights? I want a movie out of this one. In our Isaiah scripture this morning, we read about redemption, of being clothed in garments of salvation and robed in righteousness like jewels. And then it says, we will be called a new name. Redemption, new beginnings, isn't that what we long for? For God to call us by name and say, this is my child who I am well pleased to hear those whom we have hurt to say, I forgive you. And to know that God welcomes us and forgives our messy life for which we cannot make full amends except by God's grace and mercy. A new year, a new beginning, a clean slate, redemption. And today we celebrate a covenant with God. There again in the Hebrew scripture, we have several covenants listed. The first one is with Noah. God promised Noah that he would never again flood the whole earth and destroy it by water. And to seal the deal, he put up a rainbow 
in the sky, which we still see today. God made another covenant with Abraham that all his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the night sky, even when his wife was barren. John Wesley wrote the covenant prayer we will recite in a few minutes. If you really read it and study it, it will cause you to pause. Or at least it always makes me kind of squirm. I'm not sure I want to say those words. I would like to be quiet on some of those. The covenant we are making with God is to put our whole lives in God's hands. Me, who likes to control things, I'm supposed to give up my life to God. Will you also allow God control over your life? Will you allow yourself to be laid aside for God? That's really hard to do. John Wesley knew what it was like to be laid aside for God and the need for redemption. Wesley was on a road to redemption, and it began with his ill-fated expedition to Georgia as a chaplain to Oglethorpe's colony of debtors. Wesley spent two years in the American colonies, and he had a pretty dismal time of it. Yet the trip led to major train, um, changes in his life and in his work, and it even changed the way religion was done in America. When Wesley boarded an ocean-going ship in 1735, bound for Georgia, he was already a very religious man. He was the son of an Anglican minister. He studied at Oxford. He started a new club called Holy Club. It was a group of students that aimed to be methodical about their personal holiness. And within this group, John's hymn writing brother Charles was there and another young preacher named John Whitfield. Their methodical approach is what caused them to be called Methodists. And it was not a fond name. It was kind of said with um, a tongue-in-cheek because they weren't, he didn't do it. He was very, you had to be on time. You had to do this and this very methodical, and that's where we get Methodists. Despite his strife for righteousness, John Wesley was missing something. Before his American voyage, he wrote, my chief motive is the hope of saving my own soul. I hope to learn the true sense of the gospel of Christ by preaching to the heathens. <clears throat> The colony of Georgia was quite new. It was only two years old. John, James Oglethorpe had led a group of settlers there just two years before, and he intended to establish it as a non-slavery colony. Wesley was asked to serve as the minister to the English colonists and a missionary to the friendly native tribes in the area. He set out in October 1735 on a ship carrying 80 English colonists and 26 Moravian Christians. John got to know the Moravian Christians and appreciated their radical joy and deep devotion. 
He just, he was drawn to it. This was especially apparent on a night after the Moravians started singing their psalm um, service. There was this huge, huge storm. The wind ripped the main sail. The water came coming through all the decks. The, all the English settlers were screaming with fear. And the Moravians sat and continued to sing. Weren't you afraid, he asked one of the Moravians after the storm. Weren't your women and children afraid? And the Moravians gently responded, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. After the ship landed, John continued to talk with the Moravians. There was a minister named Spangenberg that he kind of started asking John deep questions. Spangenberg asked, have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And Wesley didn't know how to respond. So, Spangenberg began saying, do you know Jesus Christ? And John said, I know he's the savior of the world. True, said Miss, um, Pastor Spangenberg, but do you know he has saved you? Now that was just on the ship, and right after he got there, John was clearly a very religious man. He was a minister over in England. He was going to minister to the settlers in Georgia. And he was, he was pretty effective for a while. He was preaching powerfully to the colonists and railing against vanity and fancy clothes. And initially, they came just to see what he was like. They were curious about this weird <laughs> preacher that had come into their midst. Weird may be a little strong, I'm sorry. This different minister that had come into their, their midst. And someone said to Wesley, the people say they are Protestants, but as for you, they cannot tell what religion you are. They never heard of such a religion before, and they do not know what to make of it. Hmm. I think he's got some difficulties here, but he did start a thing on Sunday afternoon. He called it a Sunday Bible group, and he took it back to England when he went back, and maybe that's where we get Sunday schools. Not sure. But John had a difficult time. That was just the beginning. They didn't understand him. He fell in love with a young woman and courted her for a while and then just dropped her and she decided to marry someone else. How dare her? And this caused Wesley great pain and he took it, up, took it out on her publicly, rebuking her for various sins and refusing to offer her communion. And her new husband took Wesley to court for this. And soon others were filing complaints as well. So in December 1737, Wesley went back home to England. And he penned the Wesley Covenant Prayer several years later. 
He was on his road to redemption. He was on the road to having his heart strangely warmed. And in doing so, he wrote this beautiful covenant prayer. Jesus offers us redemption. All we have to do is ask. While Jesus was hanging on a cross and there were two others hanging on their crosses, one asked him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is the good news. We can all experience redemption, mercy, and grace. It is ours just for the asking. New beginnings, a clean slate, redemption, a covenant with God. This is my prayer for you in 2023. Amen.